Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take on your etiquette questions about coughing fits, whether or not to go in on a group gift from your family, changing accountants when friendships are involved, and how to thank seasonal staff you work with, plus your feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on tipping. Coming up... Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And I'm sick. And I want to thank you so much for being here today. You are such a trooper. Well, I want to thank you for giving me permission to not be here on Tuesday when we were scheduled to record. And I want to thank Chris for also rearranging and giving us the time later in the week. I got to say that I was feeling sick on Sunday. I was knowing that I wasn't going to want to be coming into work the next couple of days. And when your co-president, co-podcaster, co-everything at your company says, dude, you've been working hard. Take some time off and like get well and rest and feel better. It's the biggest relief because you're not constantly worried as As nightfall approaches and you know you're supposed to be getting up at 7 a.m. the next day, you're not going, oh, God, please don't. No, just I hope I feel good enough to drag myself out of bed and get into the office. No, I sympathize. I really do. The permission to rest and get well was – I'm so grateful for it. So thank you, cuz. Thank you for alleviating that constant get yourself to work, get yourself to work, pick up your email, do your job. Well, it makes it easy, too, when on Sunday you get a message from an obviously very sick coworker. And I was trying to remember it was a text or a voicemail, but it was definitely a voicemail because you sounded terrible. You really did. You sound much better. Thank you. Clearly under the weather, but also already thinking ahead to Tuesday. There was some genuine concern I could tell about well, that's whether or not. I hadn't yet written the script for the show. <laughs> Noted. And, but also that it was believable that you might actually not be in condition to deliver on a Tuesday morning. Thank you. <laughs> um, and, and I'll confess, too, I mean, that particular move was, was easy because also Tuesday happened to be town meeting day, right. which was an, a real opportunity for me because we head shifted the show yeah. to attend town meeting, which is something. I really enjoy. Yeah, Dan and I really love the tradition of town meeting in Vermont. It's widely known, widely celebrated. Even the University of Vermont takes off uh, uh, the first Tuesday in March. That's Often. town meeting day. Yeah. In recognition that a lot of professors and, and local students would want to actually attend town meeting. I'm bummed that I, I can't seem to find the town meeting in Burlington. I think Burlington might be the exception. It's <sighs> just big enough as a town that everybody... Doesn't get together in the gym and I, vote on the school I budget and the roads. Or and... something do it. I've got to figure it out because I've been wanting to go since I no longer live in my hometown of Charlotte where they do still hold town meeting. But you go every year. I absolutely yeah. do. It's one of my 
favorite things about living in Vermont. It's such a remarkable tradition. It's yeah. a, an example of direct democracy. I was going to say, what's it like? What do you experience when you're there? You um, see any etiquette? Yes. Yeah. Well, th- first of all, the meeting is conducted using Robert's Rules of Order, which have been around forever. And if you ever sort of have this vague notion in your mind of someone making a motion and someone seconding it and there being discussion on the floor and move to close discussion and let's vote on all Article that, 1. That's Robert's Rules. Those are Robert's Rules. Oh. And there's a moderator in the town of Duxbury. He's been moderating this meeting for 30 years. The meeting itself has been going on annually for over 200 years. I mean, it's, it's absolutely amazing. And it's the one time a year where you sort of in Vermont sort of crawl out of your cabin fever, <laughs> early March daydream and look your neighbors in the eye and all talk about the issues that are common to all of you, how we're going to take care of our roads, how we're going to fund our schools, how we're going to elect and get along with the select board that make a lot of the <laughs> town decisions along the way. There are calls for you know people to turn out and donate carpentry skills for fixing the basement of the town office, whatever it yeah, might yeah, yeah. be that, that is the small town concern. And it really is a remarkable tradition. It's a chance to participate in, in civic life in a really immediate way. And I clearly can you tell I love I know, it. <laughs> I know it is. It's it is it is pretty awesome and it is something I know us Vermonters are really proud of and I know that other states around the, the country that also conduct town meeting days. It is really important and it is a, a chance for people to really speak out, to also hear and listen. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another part that's really important to remember. But it, it's kind of a remarkable thing where it's the very kind of smallest form of our government and and it operates and it works. And it's it's encouragement that you actually can walk into your town and, and talk about what's going on in it with people and be heard. It really is. It's um a little bit of civic life that gets to be embodied on on a particular day each year and definitely a tradition I love and look forward to and didn't mind shifting our recording day this particular week so that I could participate (laughs) as well. Thank you very much. In the future, I will take note of when good good time to get remember to move it over. Um, I do want to pre-apologize before we start the rest of the show that, that sadly you will hear me turn away from the mic and cough a little bit throughout. I hope it's not too distracting and I truly hope it doesn't gross anybody out. But I'm, I'm sorry for any coughs that you hear in advance. Well, that is apropos to <laughs> our first question. And we are going to get to some listener questions. Shall we tackle a few? I would love to get started on some work. Let's do it. <laughs> The heart of awesome etiquette is answering your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or you can leave us a voicemail at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use a hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. 
You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Yeah, we planted this one, didn't we? This one is so appropriate. I know. Our first question is called Coughing Storm. Hey, Lizzie and Dan. I found your podcast last October and finally caught up on all the episodes. Great podcast. Yay! I'm going to make a little aside. I was successful this last week at increasing the number of shows that oh, feed right. to our RSS feed. Yes. So uh, the, the default is the last hundred shows go up. For, this is for iTunes, right? Um, for anything that them? feeds them automatically from that RSS feed. Okay. We've increased that number from 100 to 200, so all 131 shows are now available. So if you have been going back and listening to the archive, they're all there now. Back to our question. Yes. <laughs> I'm wondering what the rules are around coughing in the office. <laughs> A bunch of my coworkers have lingering coughs from whatever illness that has been circulating in our office. They cough nonstop. Am I allowed to say something? <laughs> Can I go buy a bunch of cough drops and start handing it out like candy? <laughs> the occasional cough doesn't bother me, and I'm pretty sure they are not contagious, but the constant coughing sounds disgusting and is distracting. Thanks for sharing your knowledge, Jimmy. Jimmy, I don't mean to laugh as Dan reads your question, but I just have to laugh. I have a horribly ragged, awful, disgusting cough. Like my mom, when I was a kid, described it as like half whooping cough, half croup. And oh. she was, and this would just be my normal run of the mill cough. Like it sounds awful. And I can imagine that when you've got like three or four sick people in the office and you're not one of the sick people and haven't been dealing with this and you're hearing all of this coffer A goes off, coffer B goes off, coffer C goes off and you just feel like gross. <laughs> like you're like, this is just gross at this point. At the same time, obviously these coffers, they can't help it. It's, you know, it's their body's reaction to what's happening to them. And the question is, what should you as the coffer do and what can you as someone being affected by it do? My vote is not to kind of try to intervene yourself. If it's really such a problem, I think you probably need to take this up with HR or a manager or supervisor of some kind and say, hey, this is really hitting a level of distracting. Can we encourage people to work from home? I'm hoping that's an option at your office, Jimmy. If it's not... I don't think you can quarantine people and put the coffers all in the same office. But I mean, like, there's got to be something. Maybe if you're not allowed to wear headphones, maybe it's something that they would allow then instead to help, you know, just put a barrier between you and the coughing noise. Um, I don't know. What do you think? I, I like the way you're thinking big picture. Yeah. You're thinking about, you know, is there an office policy about at what degree of sickness you're encouraged to stay home? Yeah. I'm thinking about our example this week. Yeah. Um. And then also thinking about what you could maybe do as an individual. Can you get permission to wear headphones? Can you get permission to kind of build some personal barriers that are going to be helpful? Yeah, go work in a conference room for the day or something, you know. I, I can also appreciate the sympathy that you're approaching this question <laughs> with at the moment. I, 
I, I was thinking big picture. Yeah. I wanted to lay the, the, the basic foundation of that the people with cough should try to minimize. There's a certain courtesy to being aware that you're potentially being distracting, that what you're doing might be perceived as spreading infection or just contagious or even just a little gross. Oh, oh, oh. Can I jump in for half a second? Having worked with the flu campaign for years, I will tell you that the only way that you can actually get sick is if someone coughs and you inhale whatever particles are still in the air, or if they cough into their hand and then shake your hand and then you immediately touch your mouth or nose or eyes or ears. That's a possibility. The germs have to immediately go from the person who's contaminated with them straight into a facial orifice of the other person. So the courtesy yeah, there sorry. becomes to take care with where you cough, where yes. what direction you're pointing your cough and how you cover up. So it's yeah. much better People say to cough into the sleeve, yep. the crook of your elbow, and that your can elbow. feel a little gross like you're doing it on your clothes. But it's actually better than putting that that cough on yes. your hands where you can then spread it around. If you do cough on your hands, excuse yourself. Go wash up. People are going to see that kind of conscientious behavior. It's going to make them feel better about you not being quite so contagious. And you do want to cover that cough up. You, you don't do. want to be – actually erupting and spraying places and That's people are going to appreciate seeing right. that covering up. Now, on the flip side of the equation, just big picture laying the etiquette foundation here, people who aren't sick really um, do your best to be understanding. And that's my first response to, to this question. And yeah, I, It stinks being sick. I'm it just really say. does. Nobody <laughs> wants to be that person who's walking around coughing with that horrible cough. Nobody likes being sick, or at least most people don't. Having said that, vast majority of rudeness is behavior that's unintentional. People who are unaware of what they're doing and how what they're doing is being perceived by people around them. And particularly yeah. when you're sick, sometimes your attention is really turned inward. And there are sometimes little things that you might be able to do to bring someone's awareness to how they're being perceived. This is a professional workspace. You need to be around them. This brought up an idea for me that yeah. an expression of sympathy can sometimes bring someone's awareness to a situation. And I think sometimes this can come across in a negative way. <laughs> oh, poor you. If someone can perceive that your intent is to point out how sick they are and that they shouldn't be there. <laughs> but if you can find some genuine sympathy in you, if you can find and express with genuine <laughs> sincerity an expression of sympathy for the condition that someone's in, then it might then provide the opening to then offer some solutions, offering a cough drop or offering a little discussion about some things that you do that are helpful. Maybe it's hot tea or yeah. something that, that offers some relief or, or makes you feel better and might be useful for them. My final thought was that it's been a while since we've talked about having tough conversations. Oh, yeah. And if you didn't want to go the route of talking to HR, if you wanted to do the broccoli on the tooth approach <laughs> with someone, if you wanted to let someone know that something about their personal hygiene or well, just behavior about their, yeah. is impacting you in a negative way without escalating it through the hierarchy of the workplace – Really think about how you do it. Maybe ask to talk to them in private. Tell them that there's something that's a little awkward that you were hoping to talk to them about. And this is where that um, genuine sympathy can come into effect. Also acknowledge that when you're sick, you would want someone to talk to you or that these are things that you try or think think about how you would want to be approached if the shoe were on the other foot and then really act accordingly. I think it's important in that conversation to recognize that the other person isn't feeling well and this is clearly not intentional on their part. You know, it's like, oh, Kelly, I know you, you've just finally gotten over the cold and you're back on your feet and everything, but, you know, I, I know you've got the lingering cough and 
I just didn't know if there was something we could we could do about that. Again, I'll go back to that genuine sympathy. Yeah, genuine sympathy. Do it would in be private nice in that moment, so that it's not something yeah. that's awkward. It's not like a call out in front yeah. of other people. Could you please keep it quiet over there? I mean, we're, we're it's easy to come up with the bad scripts on this one. So no, I'm they're left, right, and center in my head right now. <laughs> maybe game it out a little bit. Yeah, say it out loud to yourself before you say it to the other person. Always a good idea, <laughs> and it might help find those good words, Jimmy. We hope this gives you some line of action to take because we certainly sympathize that it is not fun to have to work with a bunch of people who have these lingering coughs. And when it really does start to get going, it it is a distraction and and you deserve to have an avenue to try, even though we are battling a very natural occurrence that in a lot of ways people just can't help. If you have a cold, don't stay in school because if you do, you may send others home with your cold. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Our next question is about group wedding gifts. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. I have a wedding question that I can't figure out. My cousin is getting married, and I received a personal invitation to his fiancé's wedding shower. I'm not attending, but I do plan on sending a gift. For the actual wedding, I didn't get my own invitation and instead was included on the one sent to my parents, which threw me off a little since I'm 26 and have not lived with my parents for over four years. Should I still be getting them their own wedding gift, or would it be more appropriate to contribute to the gift from my parents and siblings? Let me know your thoughts. MK. Hi, MK. A couple of thoughts here about gifts and gift giving. And first of all, I just want to say it's really nice of you to be thinking about sending a shower gift. That is a situation where if you're not actually attending the party, the expectation that you send the gift isn't a rock-solid expectation. Um, Thoughtful, but not necessary. A lot of people do because showers are often small, intimate affairs where you're very close to the person who's being showered with gifts and you'll feel inspired as you clearly do to reply to that invitation with a gift, but it's not expected. And the gifts are also often smaller items. They aren't big ticket cappuccino makers and, you know, whole sets of silver. It's like, you know, oh, these are really cute hooks that you can hang at your, you know, new house or something like that. I don't know, you know, little things, towels, toiletries. So the shower gift, really nice thought. As far as the group wedding gift, group wedding gifts are fine. A lot of people do group wedding gifts. I am thinking about a, a present that Lizzie's sister Anna received. It was one of her absolute favorites that was a, a, a big group wedding gift that a bunch of her friends got together and got for her. It's really up to you whether you want to participate in a group wedding gift or not. It's really your choice. If it's something that you want to contribute to, it can be a really nice thing to do, but it's certainly – there's nothing wrong with it and it doesn't even send a message in any particular way. Um, doesn't need to be related to the way that you receive the invitation. 
actually might look on it as like, wow, they really wanted to strike out on their own and do their own gift, and the gift was thoughtful. Wow, that's that's like cool. I don't know that it'll strike any tone of weirdness, mm-hmm. um, but it certainly is fine for you to go in on the group gift with everybody else. There's one thing I do want to bring up here, though, because you kind of mentioned it, MK, in the beginning, and that was that you thought it was a little strange that you're getting this invite through your family at the house that you grew up with, with your other siblings attached to it, too, because you have been for the past four years living on your own outside of your family's home. And I just want to say that this is really common. When you have young people, newly independents, who are only a few years out of living at home, oftentimes the person getting married doesn't actually have your new address, or they might be aware that you've gone to college and have now moved on to a city or a specific town, but they aren't really sure where you actually live. Now, I don't know if maybe these family members have visited you and it's really clear and it is really strange. That's obviously one um, possibility here. But I also think that if you personally haven't done what's what's called sending out your at-home cards, which is letting people know or a change of address card, letting people know your new address, you they, they really don't have anything to go off of other than your parents' address where they know that your parents will receive it and you will receive it too. So often for those newly independent age bracket, you wind up with getting a lot of invitations still sent to your parents' home. You just mentioned something that I haven't thought of in a long time, the idea of an at-home card, the idea of of some sort of initiation of communication when you're at a new address that in some way serves the function of letting people know this is where I'm at. This is my new place. Yeah. And we definitely tell people to, to make an effort to try to get invitations to people. You try to be a bit of a detective and hunt it yeah. out. But it can be tricky. So, OK, that is a, a long answer to a short question, but we really do hope it helps. Um, we think it's very thoughtful that you're sending that shower gift and think that you are really fine to either participate with a group gift with your parents or not as you like. Our next question is titled, Change of Accountant. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. This is Karen, who called in and left the message about thank you notes that you played on your last podcast. Ah! Even though I said I'm not a big fan of thank you notes, I felt like I had to write one to thank you for the consideration (laughs) you gave to your response when you played my message. You should know that part of the reason I was able to articulate an opposing view in a non-confrontational but useful way is from listening to all of your wonderful sample scripts. Thank you for always giving such great advice and doing it with so much enthusiasm. Karen, thank you so much for that. I just want to reiterate for those of you that that maybe haven't heard the episode yet that Karen's response was it was so gentle and easy to understand and and respectful in its delivery of, hey, this just isn't something that's that important to me. It didn't kind of like say they're a waste of time. It didn't. It didn't put down the idea of a thank you note, and that was one of the things I really appreciated about it because thanks is a two-part deal, and I know I love giving thanks to people. I love expressing gratitude. That's not something that feels like a waste of time for me, and I know a lot of other people, when they're grateful for something, enjoy the act of expressing gratitude. And so to not just simply say, they're so unnecessary and you wasted your time writing that is, it was nice to hear someone say, I'm grateful for it. I just don't keep it around for weeks on my desk. (laughs) Karen goes on. Now, I have a question for you. About 15 years ago, I started using an accountant who had done some work for the guy I was with at the time. Let's call the accountant Joe. Joe and I had become good friends when I was with my ex. Although Joe and I stopped socializing soon after my ex and I broke up, I continued to use his services, and we stayed friendly. When I married, Joe also became my husband's accountant, for a variety of reasons. Last tax season, my husband and I discussed switching accountants. 
However, we decided to go with Joe one more time. This past fall, we decided we would switch accounts this season. About a month later, we heard through a mutual friend that Joe had had a heart attack. Thankfully, he's okay and is practicing again. Because of our past relationship with Joe, we would like to reach out to him and wish him well. But you can probably see that this is a little awkward now that we switched accounts. How can we reach out to Joe now? And if we do, should we mention that we've switched accounts? Do we send him a card? Do we reach out during tax season or wait? Any advice is appreciated, Karen. Oh, I say send send the sympathy note. Send the sympathy note for sure. It does not matter that you've switched accountants. You've had a relationship with this person for years. They, you know, had a tough time and came out of it. Send them the note and say you're very glad to hear about that. In that note, do not mention anything about business. The note should solely be about your well wishes for Joe. The Ghostbusters line, don't cross the streams, comes to mind. Like This is definitely one of those cases where you, you don't, don't want to cross the streams. That's when you think of that. That is so, I think, no. <laughs> don't cross the streams, Karen. It, it's, it's a really nice thought. It's a, it's a good thought, a clean thought. As far as the business side of the question, do you mention to Joe that you've decided to go with a different account in this year, switch accounts, as you say, and... As far as that goes, I say, is there an opportunity in the relationship? I think sometimes it's appropriate, sometimes not. Sometimes it's easiest just to make that move and not bring everyone's attention to it. That can sometimes be awkward, particularly when it's not that big a deal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're working with a big provider, you don't even necessarily work with the same person every year. They wouldn't even know whether you're returning or not. <laughs> now, There are other times where that relationship develops a little bit. And sometimes you get a reminder note from that person at the start of tax season saying, here's a document that's got what we've got on file, what we don't have on file, what we need from you so that we're ready. That sort of initiation of communication would provide an opportunity to very clearly in a very business appropriate way let someone know that you've decided to use a different service this year. You could respond to a any sort of initiatory communication from someone This year, we're going to be using someone else. Thank you so much for the reminder. Um, Could be a very simple and and business appropriate and clear way to respond to something like that. If that type of communication isn't natural in the relationship anyway, there might be no need to bring it up at all. You could keep the communication strictly social and you're going to be in great shape. Karen, thank you for your feedback and for your question. We so appreciate it. I like our next question because it's one I feel like I answer for friends all the time. I had our friend Elizabeth called me the other day. People had done all these good things for her and she wanted to express gratitude. And I like this question because it's about expressing gratitude. It's called Gratefully Snowbound. Hi, etiquette friends. I like that one. I have a question regarding thanking work supervisors. I work a seasonal job at a ski resort. Every season, we need to hit the ground running in order to best serve our guests. We rely on our shift supervisors to get us up to speed quickly and help us with daily issues that pop up. In a normal year-round work environment, there would probably be ample time to be able to thank these remarkable people by buying them a cup of coffee, taking them to lunch, etc. However, given the temporary nature of the job, there just isn't time to thank these wonderful people for their knowledge and patience. Would it be appropriate to give a small under $20 gift? I feel there is some gray area in giving gifts to supervisors or managers. How does one show appreciation in a case such as this? Thank you so much for your time. I love listening to your show and feel it has made me a kinder person. Regards, Gratefully Snowbound. 
Ah, gratefully snowbound. I am a grateful etiquette friend. I appreciate your <laughs> etiquette approach to this this thought, recognizing yeah. that even though this feels very personal, that it's a professional relationship, and you're clearly wanting to take care with that. And I think that shows the kind of wisdom and forethought that's going to make you able to handle the situation really well. And I like the way that you're thinking about the appropriateness of a gift, not wanting to appear like you're currying favor or buying the favor of a supervisor. I can see that in thinking about the quantity of the, mm-hmm. the the amount of money that you want to spend on the gift being under $20. That lets you keep it in sort of a more friendly territory where you might choose <laughs> something that's that's – Consumable yep. or disposable, something that's not necessarily going to come across as a big bribe, mm-hmm. um, which is what you really want to avoid. Yeah. I think that you're in okay territory there. Um, as a seasonal worker, I would say that too. I think like a, a recognition of close of the season, this all went well, and thank you so much. That to me sounds appropriate given the nature of this specific type of job. That note that goes with the gift is a really great way to personalize it a little bit and give it that appreciative, thankful quality that you want to give it. Never underestimate the power of your words. If you have the opportunity, and I suggest looking for that opportunity, find them in person also and say something. Express that thanks verbally. Look them in the eye. Smile. Let them see the the goodwill, the, the genuineness of that thanks by communicating it in person, but also personalizing your gift with a little note is another way to achieve that same expression of gratitude. The final thought I want to leave you with is that group gifts are also a great option. And if you could organize your crew to do a gift, that allows you to have a little more latitude. If you gather that same small gift from a bunch of people, you might be able to to come up with something that that is a little bit more and that would really be a nice gesture for that supervisor. And as long as it's coming from everyone, I think that that's a, a really nice way to, to expand this idea without looking like you're trying to curry favor. Just remember that participation from everyone isn't obligatory. You want to be sure everyone's included on the card or note, even if they don't chip in on the gift. If you do do a group gift from a whole shift or floor or whatever, whatever the group is that you're giving the gift from. Gratefully Snowbound, we really hope this helps and that your next season goes as well as this last season has. Thank you so much for your questions. Please send us updates and comments and your thoughts about our answers. You can do so to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or you can leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your questions on the show. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answered and the topics we covered. And this week, we'll begin where we actually get to hear Ellie called in in regards to our question about grammar police. The question dealt with how to appropriately alert your favorite online sources, bloggers mostly, of typos. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. My name is Ellie, and I'm calling because I was able to use some of your advice regarding telling people that they had typos in something they had written. I have a favorite BuzzFeed writer and video blogger who I follow on Facebook, and I noticed that she left an S out of the word dessert. I messaged her on Facebook and just wrote three simple lines, acknowledged that I enjoyed her work, told her about the error, and wished her the best in the future. And I kind of fangirled for a minute because she actually sent me a message back and fixed the error and thanked me for it and acknowledged the mistake. And I just really appreciate 
your advice that I listen to every week because I was able to reach out to someone who is in another area of the country who I look up to, who I think of as a little bit of a celebrity, and I was really able to connect with her through etiquette. So thank you. Ellie, thank you so much. It's so nice to hear that this worked for you. And I'll tell you that I was on the receiving end of some really nice correction advice the other day. Someone picked up the phone and called the Emily Post Institute, and she was a big fan. And the structure was almost exactly the same structure that you just gave. She talked about what a big fan she was, how much she appreciated the good content, and that she'd found a little mistake that she sure had slipped by us and wanted to direct my attention to it, was wondering how to let us know. And I said, you know what? I'm sitting right here in front of a computer. We went and corrected it together, scanned through the article. She had dated someone who was a copy editor Uh and had a great eye and actually gave me some help with an article that we have on our website. And it went off so well. I was also thinking about this little piece of (laughs) advice. So thank you for sharing. So glad it worked for you. Sarah wrote in with an update. She had asked a question a few months back about hosting an apartment warming and what the best way to go about it was. Here's Sarah's update and a little something extra. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Congratulations on your move to producing Awesome Etiquette in-house. Thanks to Dan's description of the different podcast logo, I was able to subscribe to the new podcast feed and did not miss a single episode. I wrote in several months ago about the etiquette of hosting an open house at our new apartment. I think it was in episode 113. I am happy to report that we hosted the open house this past weekend, and it was a great success. We met many of our neighbors and ended up going on a progressive apartment tour to several people's apartments on the floor. People were excited to share their homes and said that we should do this every month. I also learned an important lesson from one of our last visitors of the day. A woman who is on the co-op board and interviewed us for the apartment mentioned that she had seen us several times these past few months, but that we hadn't acknowledged her. The times that I had seen her in the hallway, she had always been in conversation with someone else, so I hadn't wanted to interrupt their conversation. I now realize that this had been hurtful to her instead of thoughtful. My lesson, even if it does interrupt a conversation, it's important to say hello. Thanks, Dan and Lizzie, for your thoughtful tips that make the world a kinder place. P.S. I'm adopting a dog this month, and I'm so looking forward to even more pet owner etiquette. Best Sarah. I can definitely say that I get where you're coming from. There are lots of times where I don't know if I, I should interrupt someone's conversation. This happens a lot with me walking through the hall at our office, the main hallway of the building, where Union Street employees are often out talking and having conversations, sometimes with clients. And I always kind of try to make a little bit of eye contact, but leave it at that. So you have a little acknowledgement, but you're not interrupting. I can see from them that they're not like, oh, hi, Lizzie, this is one of our clients. You know, sometimes they want to introduce you and say hello. Other times it's just not the right time. So a little just eye contact can sometimes be a wonderful way to acknowledge that you see someone, but you recognize they're in a conversation. That acknowledgement is so important to people. Just that that not avoiding or, or trying to look away or, or, or try to minimize yourself and scurry yeah. by. I, I know that's not what you're trying to do here, Sarah. <laughs> but that's the impression that people sometimes get. Oh, they're trying to avoid me. They're just trying to get by. And that smile and that eye contact can be... Oftentimes enough, that hello when you're not going to be disruptive, also really nice. And I'll tell you about the pet etiquette that you mentioned at the end of your question. Some of the most read articles on our website are about pet etiquette. Really? I did not know this. This is a hot button issue. (laughs) And it's definitely something we talk a lot about on the show and look forward to returning to in the future. 
Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Dano, you totally, when we talked the other day, just checking in, seeing how we're doing, said, I'm going to blow you away with our Postscript segment, so I'm prepared. What's happening? Okay, I'm etiquette geeking out just a little bit what for today's Postscript. Out? Um, it was an article that uh, I became aware of through our Twitter feed. Okay. Someone asked a question, and it was about a bill that they had received where their tip had been split. There was a place on the bill where you could include a tip. Okay. And instead of the usual gratuity, the there were two lines, one for the server and one for the kitchen staff. Really? Yes. and this, That's new. <laughs> this is new. And it, it was a new point of etiquette that followed a recent Ninth Circuit Court ruling that was about the legality of restaurants splitting tips and sharing tips that were directed to servers with kitchen staff and the, the rest of the kitchen. Interesting. And this was viewed as not, by the Ninth Circuit Court, fair and legal, that it was taking away someone's earnings. There was a link to an article from Eater.com that we're going to put up on our Facebook and Twitter feeds to share with all of you. And it explained the recent court ruling. And then at the bottom of that article was a video that broke down, for me, in a really interesting way, the laws that are used for servers in our country. Who gets protected by minimum wages at which levels? And I often say in my answers to tipping questions that it's important that you prepare to tip 15 to 20 percent if you're going to eat out at a restaurant in America. And that one of the reasons this is so important is because we don't protect servers with the same minimum wages that we protect other workers, that those tips are considered part of their earning. And it's so assumed that it's going to be part of that dining experience that the earnings from those tips are considered wages. They're considered part of how we pay servers in this country. So it's really not up to us to decide that, oh, we're just not going to tip today. Um, And that's the reason why. But there are some states that actually guarantee servers minimum wages and some that guarantee minimum wages that are slightly higher than a federal mandated server minimum wage and some states that allow for the federal server minimum wage to set the standard. I always said it varies state to state. This particular video actually breaks it down and tells you which groups of states fall into which categories. Vermont is in that middle class, I discovered, that has a slightly higher than federal minimum server minimum wage but doesn't guarantee a full minimum wage to servers. Okay. So you might be getting like six bucks an hour instead of three ten or something like that. But this was definitely etiquette geek territory <laughs> in that we oftentimes think a lot about tipping and appropriate levels for tipping and how it should be handled, how the tradition of tipping might evolve and change over time. And there are definitely states that are trying to proactively evolve and change this tradition. They're trying to establish standards that will protect servers and guarantee certain levels of pay that aren't so dependent on what people tip because there are also some questions that start to arise about who gets tipped how much and how fair that system is when oftentimes the work that's done is pretty standard. The question, though, of how that tip serves and functions, and my cousin Lizzie raises her eye just a little bit because one of the ideas behind tipping— I was tipping, raising my eyes at the standard part because I'm like, I don't know. It's different everywhere. Yeah, It really but, is. Yeah. It's different everywhere. And one of the things that people really like about that gratuity is they get to honor really good service and they get to really encourage good service and reward really good service. So we tend to think of that as the play that you've got between that 15 and 20 percent, whereas— the the European or the continental approach to tipping is that it's really truly a gratuity, that you tip 
a little bit extra for truly excellent service. It's not necessarily an expectation as part of the service. My mom had always explained in Italy that it was like you wanted to be able to give someone a cappuccino the next morning or give them a little money to go get a coffee or a drink or something like that. It was always meant to be a little thank you, not a big thank you because they were considered professionals who were doing a service that was something that was to your benefit and you don't diminish that job by thinking that you have to supplement their income. It was always supposed to be a little thank you. Absolutely. And I've had in my mind that over time, maybe a a, a long arc of time, that that would be the standard that might emerge here in the United States as well, that we might see a transition towards that approach to tipping at some point in the future. And I think that we're maybe starting to enter the beginning of that transition time. and At least it being an option, like something people are considering and implementing in places, yeah. Absolutely. And there, we, we hear about restaurants that are doing different things. Some restaurants in particular are guaranteeing servers are paid a certain wage and then they're asking that customers don't tip. Right. <laughs> and okay. there are other restaurants that are doing things like the restaurant that this person who tweeted to us were asking about where they put a separate line on the check now where they're providing for an opportunity to send a tip back to the kitchen staff as well as the particular server. That was a a very new thing that I saw. That's interesting to me because I thought I was always under the impression at the restaurants that I worked at that kitchen staff was paid a higher hourly rate because they did not receive tips. They often are. And I wasn't even a server. I was a busboy. They often are. And the, the ways that front-of-house staff share tips with kitchen staff is entirely discretionary in most say, instances. I was going to different restaurants do different things because, like, our tips, for instance, never went to the kitchen staff, but they would be shared between the servers, the bartenders, and the, the busboys. So it was like those three groups, all front-of-house people, yeah. would, and the hostess, excuse me, she, she was included as well, would, would share. But you would never tip the dishwasher because he was making a wage that, it wasn't it was you weren't on the same system you weren't on the same payment system that's why it wasn't shared but i didn't know that some restaurants that's not the case and that the the kitchen staff actually gets a cut of the of the night's tips sometimes really sometimes and i just hadn't seen again that. but entirely discretionary yeah. not not so so common not necessarily expected everywhere yeah. um i really was thinking about how to answer this particular question okay. and it made me think a couple of things one it was a reminder about how important tipping is generally that mm-hmm. it is still part of the social contract that it is still an expectation in this country unless the restaurant has a very specific policy which they should be communicating to the customer. That has always been our advice as we've approached this new kind of era in tipping. Absolutely. And it's such a diversion that it's probably going to be a pretty explicit part of their marketing and their presentation of the bill. That you should still be expecting to tip 15 to 20 percent when mm-hmm. you eat out in America. Mm-hmm. It also made me think that observing that particular rule, I would still hold myself to tipping my server 15 to 20 percent. I would still think of that as a standard. Yeah. I think that the that second line, that line for tipping kitchen staff, to me would be discretionary for the consumer in the same way that it's discretionary for front-of-house staff to share tips with kitchen staff generally. That that line I would think of as not having a particular percentage number that I would attach to it, mm-hmm. but that it might be a nice gesture that you might think about doing a percentage or two of the bill. and mm-hmm. But that would really be up to you, that there isn't a, an etiquette expectation from my perspective that's emerged yet that's really no, standard I, for that. I would agree with you. We don't have an etiquette expectation for a kitchen staff line. That would be new territory. 
But I also thought that I would share this new awareness that yeah. is emerging for me as I etiquette geek out on this yeah. with our audience. And I'm really curious what all of you think about tipping and the evolution of tipping in this country. And I really want to share this article from Eater.com. There's a great little video, like I mentioned before, at the bottom that I found um, particularly interesting in terms of thinking about this issue on a couple different levels. So I'd be curious, what are your thoughts on the general fairness of the system and whether or not you think there's a way that we could get closer to the heart of a real true gratuity at some point in the future or whether you like the way the system works currently? Dan, thank you for bringing that to us. That's a much more contemporary piece of etiquette. We often think of postscripts to dive back into historical etiquette, and we know a lot of you love to geek out on that, but I I appreciate one that's coming from the contemporary side. Thank you. You're most welcome. Waiters make up the largest group of hotel workers. Now they serve with dignity, with pride at following an ancient and honorable occupation as equal and respected members of society. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today's salute comes from Angie, who talks about how all the etiquette a certain organization had when it came time to put down her cat made all the difference in the world. This is a a little bit of a long salute, so um, Angie allowed us to edit it down a bit, but I thought that there were a lot of points of etiquette in here that were important to highlight. So I wanted to make sure we kept a lot. So here we go. Angie writes, We had a sick and elderly cat who was a beloved pet, but as her health declined, it became apparent that we needed to put her down. Our regular vet doesn't do house visits, and we wanted to keep our cat comfortable, so I researched options. One service I reached out to, a local service called Compassion for Paws, was especially kind. I submitted a web form asking a few questions and to contact me. The first contact back from them was an immediate auto-reply that started, We are so sorry that you found yourself in a position that you are having to reach out to us today. I thought that was a very nice touch considering the service they provide. They then went on with a full paragraph about what I could expect in terms of reply timing and how to contact them in case of an emergency. That was reassuring since you never really know when you submit web forms if anyone is actually going to see them. A staffer got back to me first thing in the morning via email and wrote a very nice couple of sympathetic sentences before she got into the substance of the answers to my questions. This kindness and consideration was maintained throughout my communication with her. When our kitty's time came, I called them on the phone, and the woman on the phone sounded just as kind and compassionate as the emails had been. She was a different person than I had been emailing with, but said that she would be glad to help me. When the vet arrived on the day of the procedure, she was sweet and gentle. She handled all the necessary details, including collecting payment, without making it awkward. She phrased it, Would you like to get the paperwork done beforehand so you don't have to worry about it later? Her bedside manner was wonderful, both with Kitty and with us. I really did not know what to expect, but she followed our lead and went to where the cat was and where we were rather than trying to direct the situation. She gave us information about what to expect and what would happen without being overwhelming or too clinical. Every step of the way, she took time to check in with us, making eye contact, at times communicating with small nods and gestures, rather than an abundance of words. We thought we were doing something kind for our cat by doing this at home, but as it turned out, it was kind for us as well to have this gracious woman in our home helping us and our cat through this tough transition. We have reflected several times on how even though it was a very sad day, it went so smoothly and we have nothing to regret or feel icky about, which is not always the feeling when you're left with losing a pet. 
Even though we were sad to lose our pet, the whole process was very peaceful and loving, in a large part because of the kindness of all the people who worked for this particular service. Thank you for letting me share this, Angie. Angie, thank you for sharing that. At a particularly difficult time, the small kindness of other people can be so important, and etiquette can be a big part of that. It can really help bring a little humanity to a situation that could be scary or awkward or difficult. And it's oftentimes in those moments when people really have a chance to shine. And it sounds like that was the case here. Every one of us must find the satisfactory answer to this question. What am I doing in my community today to improve the condition of animals in the service of man? Oh, thank you so much for being with us today and for your time and attention. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, or salutes to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. You can help us out. Please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And if you like, leave us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine, and our Awesome Etiquette intern is Michaela Veranuk.